This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. I'm joined by the director of the Stockdale Center, Dr. Joe Thomas. He's been on here several times before, and I welcome him back. Mr. Director, it's good to have you back on Radio Stockdale. Michael, it's always great to have a conversation with you. Well, this is going to be an interesting, interesting conversation on this channel. Joe, you and I have talked about the Stockdale Paradox. I've heard you speak many times about leadership and character. And one of the things that we focus on in the center is how to be an effective leader. And part of that discussion is this thing called empathy. Why is empathy so important here? It's a great question, Michael, and, and, and a topic I thought about a lot lately. And I'll go so far as to say that I believe empathy to be among the top, if not the top, enabling factors to effective leadership. Uh, specifically servant leadership, which of course is a philosophy where the goal of the leader is to serve those uh, within the organization, or transformational leadership, uh, which is a form of leadership that moves people beyond narrow self-interest, uh, beyond transactions or, or transactional leadership, and toward a higher sense of purpose. And to achieve effective leadership, if you define effective leadership as servant or transformational leadership, then empathy is a basic building block that you need to master. So in that case, how can you define empathy? How would you define empathy? Well, empathy is defined in many ways by folks, but it may be best to give a little of the history of the word. Um, it's a relatively recent word uh, within the English language. Uh, in fact, we could put a finger on when it came into usage in the English language. And it was, in fact, 1909, the early parts of the 20th century, when a British-American psychologist named Edward Teichner translated the word, the German word, Einfühlung, uh, and that's translated as, or feeling into, feeling into something. Uh, and as he translated into the English word, created this word empathy, uh, which is most commonly defined as the capacity to place oneself uh, emotionally in another person's position. Uh, but the most helpful way of thinking about this goes beyond just that. In fact, there, there are several English words or, or concepts related to, the, to this experience, particularly the experience of others uh, who are in a state of pain or suffering and so on. And so I think to understand empathy, we'll, we'll start with the word pity. Uh, the basic working definition of pity is distress or discomfort at seeing the misfortune of others. It's the acknowledgement of somebody else's pain. In turn, sympathy builds upon this in that it's the physical display of pity. It's about caring about the well-being of another person without personally knowing their struggle. You feel concerned for another, but it's not really rooted in some type of shared experience. So therefore, in turn, empathy is about caring and personally knowing their struggle. So to possess empathy, you must have a degree of care for another and the knowledge of what that person is experiencing. It's another way of saying vicarious experience uh, through another person. And then there's probably a fourth term we should put on the table here in this definition, that's compassion, which is having sympathy or empathy and a desire to relieve that person of suffering. So compassion is 
actively seeking out a solution. It requires a motivation to do or to act on a feeling. But again, the, the building block of all this is empathy. Uh, in, in many ways, it's a key competency in all of this because it can be practiced and improved. It builds and grows over time. And, and we, as we learn more about it as a practice, and we learn more about ourselves and others in all of this. You know, it's a nice way of putting all that, Joe, but are you born into empathy or is it something you can work at and develop? Well, I, I refer to it as a competency. Uh, and like any competency, it, it's, it's a little bit of both. There are innate aspects of empathy. I think we're all born with certain capacity to understand the, uh, the feelings of others. Uh, in fact, we know that evolutionary biology is at the root of empathy. We, we possess in our brains mirror neurons, which uh, helped ensure the survival of our species because it helps us predict the behavior of others and how others are reacting toward us or toward the environment. Psychologists tell us about uh, this, this concept of emotional contagion. Uh, and for leaders to harness all of this, they need to be aware of the environment and in particular aware of the emotions of other people in that environment. Now, Michael, if I, if I could add one thing to this, I'm using the definition, the working definition of empathy in relation to one of two types of empathy out there, right? And the one I'm talking about right now is emotional empathy, sometimes referred to as affective empathy. But that's really only half of the value of its concept to leaders. Uh, there's also this concept of cognitive empathy, uh, which is sometimes referred to as perspective taking. It enables us to consider someone else's point of view. And therefore, in some ways, it's the number one antidote to egocentric thinking, which is arguably the most common bias or obstacle to clear critical thinking that there is. So there's cognitive empathy, but we'll focus uh, our comments today on emotional or affective empathy. Aristotle tells us that we have to practice, practice to learn how to be a virtuous person. To, to be a person who, who can embrace empathy, how do you do that? How do you practice? Well, the first thing, Michael, is I think we have to recognize and acknowledge that this isn't natural or easy to do. It's just the way the human brain works. We're usually consumed by thinking about ourselves. That's the number one obstacle to all of this. If you add to it the fact that it can feel uncomfortable or even unnatural to take someone else's perspective, it may even seem presumptuous to try to take someone else's perspective as if we could somehow feel what others are going through. And then thirdly, I'd say sometimes we think we're, we're being empathetic, but we're really just being sympathetic or showing pity. So understanding the distinction between sympathy and empathy is really important and taking that added step as we defined it, which is to not only care about someone else, which is a component of pity and sympathy, but to take that next step to, to kind of put yourself in the shoes uh, or to experience that pain or suffering vicariously that the other person is going through by using your imagination. So it, it's kind of with that in mind that I think there are some really clear steps to becoming more empathetic. And it starts with number one, listening carefully. There are many things we can do to improve our listening skills. There's all sorts of courses out there on active listening and, and things related to that. But whatever path we choose in becoming a better listener, you have to know that it takes discipline. It takes focus and discipline to do that. 
I think the natural follow on then to listening carefully is to ask open-ended questions. That's the only way we can learn more. This is sometimes referred to as Socratic inquiry. Uh, So we can move past assumptions about others. And then then only uh, can we put ourselves into those shoes or really embrace the situation in which another may find themselves. Uh, A third thing may be to recall similar experiences that we've had in our own lives. Uh, not to use it as a point of comparison uh, for that person in in the conversation, but to bring to mind a state that you were in that can aid in your understanding. A fourth step that we could take on to become more empathetic with others is to imagine what it must be like to experience what they're going through. So if if you don't have any direct reference, if you can suspend Uh, that lack of of direct experience, and imagine what it might be to to live their life in this moment. Um, Do that, but hold short of encouraging them to imagine something worse. So imagining is effective if it's an internal conversation within your own head, but it becomes totally counterproductive if you encourage the person experiencing pain and suffering to imagine that it could be worse. So it's often said that, that, that the most counterproductive thing regarding empathy is to start a sentence with a person you're trying to empathize with, with, well, at least it's not fill in the blank. In other words, it could have been worse. Imagine if it could have been worse in the following ways. That's very, very counterproductive. As you're going through this process, how can you proactively leave your biases behind? And what I mean by that, just in listening to you is, you know, if I want to feel what they're feeling, I've got to feel what they're feeling, not my interpretation and my biases filter on top of that. Is there a way to do that? It's really hard. And what we're really talking about now is the crux of critical thinking, right? Just to step outside of our own self-centered or as it's referred to, egocentric worldview. It's really, really hard to do that. And reflection is key. Um, to approach every situation in an objective manner is one of the hardest things we can do. And it's not just individual self-centeredness that comes into play for most of us. There's the extension of egocentrism is the concept of sociocentrism. And that is to say our, our group, right? Our in-group or our tribe, if you will, uh, we, we tend to view things through a lens of how we were enculturated, you know, the group that we belong to. And view that as somehow superior as to the experiences uh, of others outside of our group. Um, And and just knowing, acknowledging that this is really, really hard to do that. I think, Michael, reflection is key. Uh, The way to get to that objective worldview, true critical thinking, is to be as reflective as you possibly can. And the only way to enhance that is by reading, watching, listening to the stories about human experiences reflecting on on what you've taken from those uh, experiences and, and thinking about how it can be applied in our lives. Let me take you back to your foundational conversation when you defined empathy. You said pity, sympathy, empathy on that continuum. As a leader, do you have to get to empathy or is pity and sympathy good enough? And what I really mean by that is, so I pity someone. Is that a big deal as a leader? or I'm sympathetic, is that a big deal? Do I have to get to empathy to actually be able to embrace leadership? Well, I think you do. 
So you may uh, be aware of the name Warren Bennis. Listeners may be aware of the name of Warren Bennis. He's one of the greats, the luminaries in this field in many ways of, of leader development. And Warren Bennis and others have written that to establish trust between leaders and followers, there's really four things that they need to establish, that, that need needs to be part of that relationship, the exchange between leader and follower. And, and the first is vision, pulling people together on the basis of a shared belief or common purpose. Second thing that he writes and talks about is, is integrity, which is a demonstration of a commitment to higher principles through your actions. Consistency is to act in accordance with predictable patterns. People seek out, we all as human beings want consistency. And then the fourth and final thing he talks about is empathy, as we've defined it, which is it's not merely um, recognizing the distress or discomfort of others or the experience of others, uh, but it's, it's actually caring enough to guide your actions, that interaction you have with followers based on that knowledge and degree of care. So in that sense, I, I, I agree with Warren Bennis and others who believe that empathy is an absolute building block to effective leadership for that reason. Now we talked about leadership. Let's let's push a little bit further because we and our students here are naval and military officers. Since sensitivity is part of the equation, is this thing incompatible with being in the military? So I don't think so. In in fact, in many ways you could argue the opposite is true. So in the military, leadership exercise in the military at least is, is pretty similar to leadership exercise anywhere. The, the, the elements of good, effective leadership are somewhat universal. So that's why I'm not a fan of leadership for engineers or leadership um, you know, for one gender and not the other and, and so on by, by segmenting this down too narrowly. I think there are certain universal principles, military, non-military environments for men, for women, um, it, it, this transcends generational cohorts and so on. And the the basic definition that we just talked through about both cognitive and, and affective or, or emotional empathy applies. And the reason I say I think it applies even a little more strongly in the military is because the stakes are so high, right? So th- there's a lot of ways to define leadership. In past podcasts, I, I shared with you my own personal working definition of leadership, not the definition of leadership, is the process by which an individual directs, influences, and inspires the efforts of others toward a common purpose. Well, if, if you believe that, if, or if you even buy that a little bit, then to direct, influence, inspire, we're talking about closing the gap between two people, two or more people, right? And we know that the quickest way to reduce the distance between two people is this concept of empathy. Uh, it, it's at the heart of trust. It's at the heart of interpersonal relations. And that applies in the military every bit as much, if not more, because of the stakes involved than it does in other in other uh, endeavors that we could uh, talk about leadership within. You know, give me an example here, Joe. We're about 50 years out from the homecoming of the Vietnam era POWs, the namesake of our center Vice Admiral James Stockdale. Everyone knows him as a Stoic. How does empathy and Stoicism link up with Stockdale? Yeah, so Stockdale, of course, is most known, uh, most widely known as this student of Stoicism, specifically a student of, of the work of Epictetus. And 
Epictetus, if you keep in mind, is a former slave who is tremendously abused, heinously abused uh, by his owner, and then eventually set free and and becomes a kind of contemplative person, a philosopher, uh, and writes about these experiences that he has. I, I think kind of the subtext to the main message of Stoicism, the main message being only concern yourself with that which you can control, but I think the subtext uh, of everything that Epictetus and, and other Stoic philosophers are really writing about is you kind of have to understand where others are coming from. Uh, you have to suspend your own egocentric, self-centered way of looking at things and, and peg your understanding to the needs and motives of other people at times. And Stockdale not only is a student of this and has thought very deeply, he's a very reflective uh, person in his, in his life, and certainly during his nearly eight years in, the, in, in prison in Hualo or the Hanoi Hilton, but it's the way he exercises leadership. He personally experiences uh, to the same degree, and, and in most cases beyond the level of pain and suffering, what his fellow POWs are uh, going through. So in this way, it creates this, this mindset, this, this perspective of Stockdale that he knows exactly what they're going through. And he doesn't necessarily uh, use it as this hard and fast, uncompromising set of principles by which they have to guide their behavior, but rather a way of communicating with them, this knowledge of torture himself, he uses that as a way of communicating with them that allows them to give themselves permission to, to fail at times. Uh, if that's not empathetic concern, I'm not sure what is. Uh, and, and Stockdale, again, is, he's, he's known uh, for stoicism, but hand in hand with that is this degree of concern for those he was responsible for, or in other words, led. Game, set, match. It seems to me that Admiral Stockdale, a stoic, and an empath demonstrates that uh, officers, military people can be emphatic. Dr. Joe Thomas, thank you for joining us on Radio Stockdale. All my pleasure, Michael, anytime. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts. 